Our Lord and God, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for the, the gift of the Lord's day, the gift of rest, the gift of worship, the gift of fellowship that we have. Thank you, Lord, that we, we get just a taste of the new heavens that is to come, the new creation that is to come. We thank you, Lord, that your word today will be accompanied by your spirit and that it will accomplish that which it is set out to accomplish. Give us listening ears. Give to us, we pray, believing hearts and understanding minds. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase, become less so that you and you alone can become more. We pray that you would move me out of the way this morning and that you alone would be seen, heard, and glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I once again greet you in the name of the Lord. Welcome you on this Lord's Day. Last week, when we gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered the uniqueness of man. The uniqueness of man. Man is the only creature in all of God's creation that is given the honor of being created in the image of God, or as we said last week, the Imago Dei. We learned that there was a unique language that was used when man was created. There's a certain pattern of let there be, let there be, let there be, that all of a sudden breaks when man is created by God. Genesis 1:26. let us make man in our image after our likeness. We learned of the unique divine language that was used when God created man. There was a, a plural use of language. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness or after our likeness. We learned that this plural use of language was a rudimentary or not fully developed reference to the eternal three distinct persons of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who, who all play a unique role in the creation of all things. We examine the uniqueness of man. Man was created in the image of God. And what man has become is not what man once was. Man was created holy, morally upright. Man's mind was equipped with a true knowledge of God. He, his will acted in accordance with the law of God that was written on his heart. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7:29, "Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices." Man was made upright, but he sought out sin. Man fell. Man rebelled against God, his maker. Man became corrupt. And of all of the atrocities of man that we have witnessed throughout history, these are all testaments to the great tragedy of the fall of man. As we said last week, the fall of man was not the distance from your bed to the floor. The fall of man was from the very glory of Eden, the mountain of God, to the cursed thorns and thistles of the earth. That's how great the fall of man was. Man was made in the image of God. He was, as we said, or as we could say, he was the crescendo of God's creation. He was, is the Mount Everest, the apex of God's creation. But not because we are so lovely. Not because we are so special in, in, in and of ourselves. But because we were created 
out of all of God's creation, we were created in the image of God. We, out of all of God's creation, bear the image of God. Therefore, when God condescends in the flesh, becoming like one of us, it was not first and foremost to rescue you, as it were, as much as it was to rescue his image that he loved. His image that he loved. God assumed the flesh of humanity that he might restore the image of humanity that was created in his image. Amen. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ declared, it is finished. And now today, brothers and sisters, we will consider the second part of the implications of what we talked about last week. And that is this, the dominion mandate. If you're taking notes, today's title, the dominion mandate. Or the commission that was given by man or given to man by his maker, the eternal God. The dominion mandate. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Y'all are moving a little bit slow this morning. This is God's word. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, And over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Please be seated. You should never be sick. Ever. Why? Because God has given you dominion over creation. And if you get sick... You have the authority, dominion to exercise God's given authority over that sickness. And you have the authority, the dominion, to tell it to leave. You should never be poor. Why? Because God has given you dominion over poverty. You must exercise your authority over poverty because God has given you authority over all things. You have dominion. Why are some of you laughing? Walk in that dominion. Walk into the bank like you own it. Walk into your job space like you're the boss. You have dominion. You should be prosperous in health, prosperous in your finances, prosperous in your relationships. When you exercise the dominion, when you understand the authority that's been given to you, when you use the keys of the kingdom, That have been given to you. You will not lack in any areas of your life. And don't stop there. Take this authority. Take this dominion to the the government. Take it to Congress. Take it to your White House. Take it to your schools. To your universities. Take it to your job site. Take it everywhere. Because you have been given dominion over the earth. The keys of the kingdom are yours. They're yours. Why are some of you still laughing at me? For some of you, 
this sounds eerily familiar. For some of you, you grew up in this as I did. For some of you, you didn't realize that it was known as dominion theology or Christian dominionism. And the beliefs of all the things that I just said are coming out of our text for today. There are Christian dominionists who believe that they have a divine mandate to claim dominion over the earth, physically, spiritually, politically, and everywhere else. And it is a false theology that is taught by by most, if not all, of those speakers who are on TBN, the Word Network, Daystar, and the like. And I say, and the like, which means if you see... Some of some of those people on the same on other networks, it's the same false theology. It is riddled with heresy, riddled with heresy. Man being created in the image of God is linked to the dominion mandate. But the question is this. What is the dominion mandate? What is the the dominion mandate? The dominion mandate. That man has been given or the dominion that has been commanded of man is this. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth. But what is the nature of that dominion? What is the nature of that dominion? And and, and it is the nature of that dominion that is often misunderstood. And, And listen, brothers and sisters, even in our reformed circles, it's misunderstood. There's even error in our reformed circles some appeal to the, to the dominion mandate to justify that we are to have large families and many children. And if you don't have many children or children, then you are disobeying the command of God, the dominion mandate. And they'll use verses like Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Therefore, if you don't have a lot of children, or if you don't have any children, then you have failed to fulfill the dominion mandate of God. Others think that the dominion mandate is for Christians to subdue the earth, and this is accomplished through work. So we must work, strive for positions of authority, so that we may dominate the world for Christ. In this process... We must also have a co-laborer. You know what that means? A helpmate. A wife. And if you don't have a wife, or if you're a woman and don't have a husband, then you are also failing to fulfill the dominion mandate. If you're not married, then you're not obeying the mandate. This This is some of the false beliefs of this dominion mandate. And there are others who believe that this mandate is for the church. The church is to fulfill the mission of the dominion mandate and subdue the earth. All of these things, though I'm sure well-intended, they fail, and they are false, but they fail to take into account a lot of things. They fail to take into consideration sin and the fall of man. They fail to take into consideration the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is three things that we will talk about this morning. Number one, the specific nature of the dominion mandate. Number one, if you're taking notes, the specific nature of the dominion mandate. Brothers and sisters, if you come from the the false theology that I came from, this is going to help you so much. Number one, 
the specific nature of the dominion mandate, reading the verses again. And I'm actually just going to read verse 28. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does it mean to bear the image of God? What does it mean to bear the image of God? We are image bearers. We are image bearers of God. What does it mean to bear the image of God? We spoke a little bit about this last week, but, but there are more implications of being made in the image of God. I'm going to say a large word, but I'm going to explain it to you what it means. Apexegetical. There is an apexegetical statement there in verse 26 followed by, okay? An apexegetical statement, it, it means this. It is a statement that explains what was previously said, Okay? An epexegetical statement is a statement that explains what was previously said. So in verse 26, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness is followed by an epexegetical statement, which means this. The Bible, God explains what it means to be made in man's in God's image and after his likeness. What does that entail? Are you with me? So when we say, what does it mean? What does it entail to be made in the image of God and after his likeness? God then tells you. Here we see that being made in the image of God is spelled out in terms of dominion. Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? God spells it out for you. Dominion. Are you with me? The apexegetical statement explains what it means. It means dominion. Verse 26. Let's look at it. Let us make man in our own, our own image. What does the next uh, statement say? Let them have dominion. You see that? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, just as God sits over the cosmos and rules over it, so too, man, made in the image of God, does the same thing. Are you with me? God is the ruler and he has set Adam up as his vice regent or his governor or his king of the earth. Adam is to rule over creation as king. Therefore, if you're taking notes, Adam was the first king. Adam was first king. Adam was called to represent God on earth as an image bearer. Adam was called to conduct himself in, in a way that, that reflected who God was or who God is. Adam was called to reflect or to live his life in such a way that he reflected who God is. Uh, Meredith Klein, that's, that's a man, by the way. Meredith Klein makes this statement. Man's likeness to God is a demand to be like God. You hear me? Man's likeness to God is a demand to be like God. Formed in the image of God, man is informed by a sense of deity by which he knows not what God, not, not by which he knows what God is like, not merely that God is. I'm going to say that again. Formed in the image of God, man is informed by the sense of deity by which he knows what God is like, not simply that, that God is. Meaning this, that he knows God in a completely other way than just, I know there is a God. 
that he actually knows God and represents God by the way he lives in this earth. He images God. Are you with me? It is man, male and female, that are given a twofold mandate in verse 27. Let's look at it. Look at your Bibles, please. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, keep, keep in mind what is being connected or, or, or what is connected to being made in the image of God when it comes to the dominion mandate. With me. In the dominion mandate, Adam was supposed to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Brothers and sisters, look at me real quick. Why? Why? Why must man be fruitful and multiply? What's the result of being fruitful and multiplying? God is commanding, commissioning man to do what? Spread the image that he was created in. What image was Adam created in? God's image. So spread God's image where? To the ends of the earth. Adam's responsibility, Adam's calling is to spread God's image throughout the entire earth. How? Children. Adam and Eve were to produce children. Man made in the image of God. Therefore, any uh, offspring that Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve would have would be what? Made in the image of God. They would also be image bearers of God. So spread that image to the ends of the earth. And they were to pass this mandate from God on to their children. The responsibility of what? Children. Spread this image to the ends of the earth. And guess whose responsibility that was? Guess whose responsibility it was to, to tell his children to spread the image of God or to be fruitful and multiply? Who's it, whose responsibility was that? Adam's. Adam was the first spokesman of God, which means Adam was the, also the first prophet of God. Adam's a prophet. He's the first representative of God. He's the first one to tell all of creation what God has said. He's king. He's prophet. And we're also going to find out in another in a few moments that he's also something else. King, prophet. Look at uh, Genesis chapter five. Verse one. <clears throat> this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the image or in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named, the, named them man when he was created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered, listen to what it says, a son in what? In his own likeness. After his image. And his name, or his name, and named him Seth. Do you see that there? Whose image was Adam created in? God's. God's image. What image does Adam reproduce? An image after his own likeness, which was made in the likeness of God. Therefore, Adam is trying to fulfill the dominion mandate by being fruitful and multiplying. He's reproducing. Reproducing the image of God that he was supposed to produce in the original dominion mandate. Adam was commissioned to spread the image of God to the ends of the world. To be fruitful, to multiply. So that God's image extended to the ends of the world. Verse 28 of chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Do you know what subdue means? Bring it under control. 
bring the earth under control. Why was there a need to bring the earth under control, to subdue the earth? Scripture gives us more information about this. Uh, in Genesis 2, if you look there, Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. We're going to talk about this garden more in, in future sermons. But we know that the, gar- the garden was, was distinct or different from the rest of the world. Otherwise, there would be no distinguishing the garden from the rest of the world. Are you with me? The rest of the world was not like the Garden of Eden. So when you think about the world, don't think about Hawaii. The world was just Hawaii all over the world. It wasn't that way. There was a place that God had made that was like Hawaii, greater, right? But it was, it was distinct from the rest of the world. It was different from the rest of the world, which is why God calls Adam to subdue the rest of the world. Make the rest of the world like this garden. The garden was a special, unique place. Why? Fruit trees, water flowing, animals there. But that is not the thing that distinguished the garden from the rest of the world. Are you with me? What distinguished the garden from the rest of the world? It was the place where God met with man. It was the place where God met with man. In Genesis 2.8, God plants a garden. In Genesis 2.15, Adam is created outside of the garden. And where is he brought? Inside of the garden. Are you with me? Adam is not made in the garden. Adam is made outside of the garden. And God brings him into the garden to do what? To tend the garden. To work it. And, and what would God do in that garden? He would walk. In Hebrew, it's actually walk back and forth. The presence of God was there in that garden. What do we call a place where God's presence is? Huh? A temple. A temple. Are you with me? As we look through the rest of the scriptures, we see the place where God is described as a temple. What are you right now? A what? You're a temple. Of who? The Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. His presence is in you, is it not? So Adam is king. Adam is prophet. And Adam was called to work in the temple, which would make him what? A priest. Adam is the first king, prophet, priest. By all implications of scripture. Are you with me? Adam has a huge responsibility. Eden is the place of the presence of God. Of all of the earth, this was the unique place of God where God's presence dwelled. Eden was a special sacred place in the initial creation. The Garden of Eden was the first temple. Adam was called to to be a priest and to cultivate that space, to tend that garden. So then, what is meant by subduing the earth as Adam is commanded or commissioned to do? It is meant, here's what's meant by it. Extend the temple. Extend the glory of God. Extend this sacred place to the ends of the world. Now keep this in mind. Keep this mandate in mind. Extend the glory of God to the ends of the world. Make this temple grow. Right? Which means that in the beginning, there is a specific uh, trajectory. There's a specific mandate or a path or a course. There's, There's, if you will, an eschatology. An end goal that God has for Adam. There's an eschatology before there is 
ever a need for salvation. Or as our theologians like to say, before there was ever soteriology, there was eschatology. God was looking forward toward the end. There was an upward movement. There was a global mandate for people to image God and to praise and glorify God as they bore his image in righteous ways. That's the goal. That's the goal of the mandate. So when someone, uh, some false teacher comes and grabs that verse and says, now you do this. What are they failing to take into consideration? Our second point. The fall affects the dominion mandate. So we hear the call of Adam. We hear the, the, the specifics of the dominion mandate. Let's go to verse 28. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Brothers and sisters, do we know what happened? Do we know what happened? Do we know whether or not Adam accomplished what he was called to do? Of course we do. Why? Because it's right there in your hands. Adam failed to obey the dominion mandate. Listen, we don't read this as if we're wandering Israelites who don't know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story and we read it in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Adam was unfaithful. Adam sinned against God. Adam forsook the work of the dominion mandate because Adam now or Adam was our federal head. If you're taking notes and you've never heard the word federal head before, maybe put federal head, public person. Or another slash, representative. Representative. Adam stood as our federal head. Adam stood as a public person or our representative. And the guilt of his sin was credited or imputed to who? You and me. When Adam sinned, who fell with him? Just Eve? Just Cain and Abel? How about Seth? All of Adam's progeny, all of us, progeny, all of us fell with Adam. Every single one of us. When Adam fell, we all fell. When Adam fell, we all fell. Amen. This imputed guilt of Adam, Adam's sin, to his offspring, what does it do to the dominion mandate? It poses an insurmountable obstacle in man's path to fulfill the, the dominion mandate. Man can no longer do this. There's a, there's a mandate, but the obstacle is insurmountable. It's impossible for man to fulfill this mandate. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Man has broken the covenant of works. Remember, what was the work of the covenant? Multiply the image of God to the ends of the earth. Did Adam succeed? Adam failed. There is more that we'll see in this covenant later. And this mandate that Adam failed to accomplish, guess what? Is passed on. Are you with me? What, what do I mean passed on? God says, Adam, you failed. Let's try again. He gives the, the, the dominion mandate to another, to Noah. Go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. 
just a few pages over. And I'm going to pull this out with you. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. You're going to see some language that sounds and looks extremely familiar. Verse 1. And God blessed who? Noah and his sons. And said to them, do you see what the Bible says there? What does God say to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. It sounds like God is giving Noah what? Dominion. Verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I give gave the and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. God is reissuing the dominion mandate and giving it to Noah. But there's a problem, isn't there? What is the problem? Sin. Sin is the problem. Sin now looms over the landscape of redemptive history. Look at, again, after Genesis 9, verses 1 through 3, Noah offers sacrifices when he exits the ark. And God makes a covenant with him. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You have dominion. But could Noah fulfill that dominion? Could Noah fulfill the, the mandate to, to, to dominate the world? Could Noah do that? No. Noah also failed to keep his covenant. And, and, and brothers and sisters, if you've never seen the parallels, there are amazing parallels between Noah and Adam. What do you mean? Noah fell in a garden. Did he not? Where, or, or Adam falls in a garden. Where does Noah fall? In Genesis 9, 20, Noah falls in a vineyard. Adam falls by the fruit of a tree. Noah falls by the fruit of the vine. Noah walked with God and was righteous. Who else walked with God? Adam walked with God in the garden. Adam and Eve were naked when they sinned. Noah got so drunk that he laid naked and uncovered in his tent. God covers Adam and Eve after the fall. The faithful sons of Noah cover their father and his nakedness. And brothers and sisters, these parallels would not have gone blindly past the children of Israel. The point is this. The, demand, the, the dominion mandate from, that was given to Adam passed on to Noah, and Noah failed. Adam failed. Noah failed. And, and guess what about the offspring of Noah? Did they succeed? Who are the offspring of Noah? They are the ones who in Genesis chapter 11 are building a tower called Babel. And they also sinned. It's just sin after sin after sin. Failure after failure after failure. So God takes this dominion mandate, and who does he give it to? He gives it to Abraham. Reissued to Abraham. Just as Adam was called to extend the image of God throughout the entire world, Abraham, Abraham, you will be a blessing. And you are supposed to extend this blessing to every family on the face of the earth. Once again, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. What does God say to him? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. What does he say? Subdue the earth. You will be a blessing to every family on this earth. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the families on the earth shall be blessed through you. But listen to how Paul interprets. This is this biblical exegesis here. 
Listen to, to how, how Paul interprets Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Paul looks back. And Scripture interpreting Scripture, Paul looks back at that verse and says this in, in go to it, Galatians. Paul, looking back at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Get there quickly. You there? And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to who? To Abraham. Saying what? In you shall the nations, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How? Paul does not characterize the dominion mandate in terms of work, but in terms of promise. Abraham, you can't do this, but there is a promise seed that will come that can do this, that will do this. It's not something that Abraham himself will do, but rather it is something that someone else will do on all of our behalf. When Noah fails, when Abraham fails, they receive mandates, but they do so as types. They do so as foreshadows. You guys know what types, anti-types are? Type is a shadow. Anti-type is the fulfillment. When Abraham and Noah and Adam all receive these dominion mandates, they do, they do so as types of the anti-type who would, who would come. The Lord Jesus Christ. They could not fulfill the dominion mandate. They would not be obedient to the command of God. Why? Because the gospel has its terminus. The gospel has its end goal, its end point in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh. He and he alone fulfills the dominion mandate. Number three. Christ fulfills the dominion mandate. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but the next time I hear someone say, you have authority. No, Christ has authority. Christ has authority. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man failed to obey God. Man failed to keep the covenant of works. Man failed in the dominion mandate. Man failed to extend the image of God. So, here's the big question. Is all lost? Is all for naught? Is all things lost? Are all things lost? Who is it that will save humanity? Who is it that will fulfill this dominion mandate? Is it man? Is it the church? Is it the government? Is it the nations? No, brothers and sisters. To all of these, the answer, and the only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. The one who perfectly alone obeys the law of God. Christ comes and fulfills the covenant of redemption made between the Father, Son, and powered by the Spirit before eternity ever began. Time ever began. Christ alone fulfills the dominion mandate. Christ alone makes a new creation. Christ alone extends the glory of God through the church to the ends of the world. And we see this most clearly in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, where Paul places Adam and Christ in parallel. Listen to what he says. Don't turn there. Listen to what he says. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, 
For as in Adam, all die. As in Adam, all died. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Do you see the comparison? Do you see the parallel? Putting the two next to each other. In Adam, we die. In Christ, we live. So how can Adam, or even the offspring of Adam, fulfill the the dominion mandate if we die in him? We can't. He can't. If we have sin and death constantly ruling over us, how are we to fulfill this mandate? We won't. But notice how Paul connects the faithful second Adam with the work of the dominion mandate. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. Oh, you got to see this one. Turn there, please. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. For God has put all things, what? In subjection under his feet. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. What does that mean? He has dominion. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. What is he talking about? There was a verse that we read last week that as I was preparing this sermon, uh, praise God that he brought to my remembrance Psalm 8. Remember that? Psalm 8 and verse 6. And when we read this passage last week, we talked about how Adam is looking at creation and he is marveling at the wonder of creation, then looks at man and says, but you have made me a little lower than the angels. He says in verse 3 of chapter 8 in Psalm When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And then Adam goes here. Yet you or not Adam, David, yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What else does he say? You have given him dominion over the works of your hands You have put all things under his feet. Okay. There's a dominion mandate. David is saying, you have made man a little bit lower than the angels. You've given man dominion. But David does not fail to mention that he also has has sinned. That he's failed in this mandate. And then he says, you have put all things under his feet. Who just got done saying, you have put all things under his feet? Paul. Paul is looking back at Psalm 8 and saying, yes, you have put all things under uh, all things under his feet. You have given all dominion and authority to to him. Who was him? The Lord Jesus Christ. Not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham, not man, not the government, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He now is the, domin- the, the one who fulfills the dominion mandate. He now has all things under his feet. As a result of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, God has put all things under his feet. And he now, Christ, is the one who fulfills and fulfilled the dominion mandate to the glory of God alone. Imagine if you and I fulfilled this mandate. Who would glory go to? You and I. Which amazes me when some people like to say, oh, no, I chose to walk down the aisle. I chose to give my life to Jesus. I chose to whatever you chose, you think you chose as if you had some part to play in God saving you. Don't rob glory from God. 
God, Christ alone does this. And what does Christ say about himself in Matthew 28, 18? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Not you. To him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does it sound like he's, he's saying? It sounds like he's saying 1 Corinthians 15, 27. All authority has been placed under my feet. Do you see how scripture is doing this? How it's just telling you, this is what this means. And if you didn't understand that, go here. And that's what that means because he's explaining this for you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It is Christ who carries out the dominion mandate. And it is the bride of Christ, like Eve, the, the wife of Adam, the bride of Adam, the church. We are Christ's helpmate. Go figure that. We are Christ's helpmate. How was Adam supposed to fill the earth with the image of God? How? He was supposed to have children. And he did so with the assistance or through the assistance of a helpmate. His wife, Eve. Two men can't have a baby. Two women can't have a baby. They could still or adopt someone else's baby. But they together cannot fulfill the dominion mandate. They fail in that. Amen. So to Christ, how is he fulfilling the dominion mandate still today, even though it is fulfilled? How does he extend that glory? He does so through the assistance of his helpmate, the church, his bride. Well, what do we mean? It was not for Eve to fulfill the dominion mandate. Just as it is not for the church to fulfill the, the, the dominion mandate. It is Christ. But what was Eve supposed to be to Adam? A helpmate. And what are we supposed to be to Christ? A helpmate. Why do you think he calls us his bride? When we look ahead to the end of history, to the end of scripture, that there's a beautiful way in which the scripture or the story ends. We see Christ successfully fulfilling the, the dominion mandate in Revelation chapter 5, verse, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders and and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering in, the, listen, numbering in the myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What's the end of this story? What's the end of this scene? We see that there are thousands upon thousands. Can you imagine that? Thousands upon thousands, myriads upon myriads. Of saints who, who what? Who are bearing the image of Christ. And what is the image of Christ but the expressed image of God? And remember what was told to Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, spread my image to the ends of the earth. And here we see thousands upon thousands. As many as the sands on the seashore. As many as the stars in the sky. And what are they doing? They are bearing the image of Christ. Here we see the fulfillment of the dominion mandate. And there's a second part. Remember what else Adam was supposed to do? Extend the temple? Extend the glory of the temple? Remember that we, the people of God, are the temple of God. Therefore, if the people of God will extend to the ends of the earth, so will the temple. Thank God for believers in Mexico. In Africa, 
in Europe, in Asia. What's happening? The temple is being extended. God's glory is being extended. In Revelation 21, 16, John describes this, this eschatological temple, this, this new Jerusalem. And what is it? You ever wondered what that, what that was going to look like? John describes it as this, a giant cube, a giant square. It's, it's length, it's breadth, it's width. They are all equal, 12,000 furlongs. What's 12,000 furlongs? 1,500 cubit miles. You ever driven 1,500 miles? You ever driven 500 miles? In Paul, in, in, in John's day, John is essentially saying that the temple extends to the known world at that time. He's saying this temple, 1,500 this way, 1,500 that way, 1,500 this way, as far as John could think of. The temple is extending to the ends of the earth. The temple is extending to the ends of the earth. What is the temple? We are the temple. He's seeing these myriads, these thousands upon thousands saying, the temple is grown. The temple has gone to the ends of the earth. To God be the glory. Christ fulfills the dominion mandate through his church. That does what? That shares this gospel. This is not about, this is not about taking over institutions. It's about spreading the glory of God. This is not done through uh, cultural institutions. It is done through Christ sovereignly working through the church, his bride, his helpmate. So when we look at the dominion mandate, don't, don't pull out of that dominion mandate a generic work ethic. Are you hearing me? Don't, don't look at that and say, hey, Adam was put in the, in the garden to work, so you got to work. And that's the fulfillment. That's what it means. You are, you are dumbing down. You are making that generic you are, you are stealing the glory from that passage if you say, hey, Adam, God called Adam to work, so you got to go to work. You're missing the point. Not the point at all. The dominion mandate is not saying work because God created work before the fall, therefore work is good. Brothers and sisters, it is good. Work, please, go to work. But it's just not, it's not just about get a job to the glory of God. If we see it that way, then we are stripping that mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not general work ethic, but a specific work. A work that was given to Adam to spread the image of God to the ends of the world, to extend this temple. And it is a work that is fulfilled by Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Aim to, to, to spread the glory of God, the image of God through this world. And, and do so through your work. Don't go to work to escape your home. Don't go to work just to make money. Go to work to expand the kingdom of God. Be a helpful, uh, a helpful, uh, uh, faithful helpmate to Christ. Work to expand the kingdom of God. Share the gospel. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Who was the last person you shared the gospel with? If you can look back and say, gosh, it's been over a week, over two, over three. I haven't shared the gospel maybe a month. Are you even looking for the opportunity to share the gospel with? Because you interact with people. Or do you want to get what you get and then get out of the way? 
Who have you shared the gospel with? You are the bride of Christ. You are called to extend this image. How are you doing so? How are you doing so? With whom are you doing that with? Who are you actively sharing the gospel with? Who are you inviting to this church? Do you believe we're teaching sound gospel here? Who are you inviting to the church? Who are you actively saying, come to church? There's good gospel teaching here. Come to church. Be image bearers of Christ. Who, who display what it means to be to rescue from the depths of depravity by the second Adam who has lived in perfect obedience to, to God's law on your behalf. You have repented, who have trusted in Christ alone. We do not expand the kingdom of God through having babies. I don't care what Vody Bauckham says. We do not expand the glory of God, the kingdom of God, through having a bunch of babies. We expand the glory of God through evangelism. We expand the kingdom of God through evangelism, through sharing the gospel. We can have more kids uh, than the old woman who lived in a shoe who had so many kids she didn't know what to do. We can have more kids than that woman. And still, those kids could, could fail to be faithful and share the gospel and be saved. Have kids, great. But don't think that because you're having kids that you are somehow better than the next person or that you are somehow fulfilling the, the dominion mandate. It's fulfilled by Christ. What if, what if the person is a believer and has no children? Do they fail? Do they, are, are they looked upon as a failure? No. You can be fruitful and multiply when? When you share the gospel. When you share the gospel, when you bring people into the kingdom of God, is it any wonder that Paul, though he had no wife, though he had no children, called everybody his babies? What does he say to the Galatians, my dear children? What does he say to the Corinthians, my dear children? What does he call Titus, my son? What does he call Timothy, my son? Why? Because Christ fulfilled the dominion mandate, and as Christ's helpmate, Paul was giving birth all over the place to new believers as he shared the gospel and as God the Holy Spirit worked in the hearts of people through that gospel. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. You have no kids. They're out there waiting for you. Go. Be faithful to sharing the gospel. No one, no one need be childless in the kingdom of God. No one need be childless in the kingdom of God. So don't be surprised if I start calling you son or daughter. I need more children. We are all about the household of God. And we need, we need not be limited to raising infants in order to have children. We need not be limited to having infants, raising them with diapers in order to say we have children. We must remember, we cannot approach this mandate and extract it from its original meaning. We can't just make it mean what we want it to mean. It means something. We only approach this passage through the person, work, and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see this, we should mourn. We should mourn at the fall and faithlessness of Adam. And then we should rejoice. Our sorrow should turn to joy when we, when we see the faithfulness of the second Adam. The, the magnificent picture 
of the dominion mandate completed in Christ. And what does it mean for us? It means that we should strive to be good helpmates for Christ. We should strive to be good helpmates for the second Adam. Share the gospel. Forgive one another. Brothers and sisters, especially if you're in church, don't come up in here with attitudes toward one another. Love one another. What kind of, of, of image, what kind of, of example would we be for Christ if we come into his, his temple or to this church as temples of Christ and we have awe toward one another? You should be able to come in here and say, I love every single person. Friends, maybe not. Love, of course I love this person. Friends, we're working on that. But I won't keep things from one another. Won't keep things against one another. And there are simple things to do that, guys. Say hi to one another. Answer one person's text quicker than a day. Can, I, can everybody look at me real quick? Someone texts you, don't wait two, hour, two days, three days to text them back. That's so rude. Oh, my gosh, it's one of the things I hate about you young people. And I'm almost 40, so I can say that. I look good, don't I? I can't stand that. Call me back. Your life is that busy, you can't say, hey, man, I got you. You are that, you, you're not Trump. I bet you don't, you're glad you're not, but you're not that busy. Can't be that busy. To give someone a text back, you can't be that important in this church to walk past somebody and at least not say hi. Are we not the body of Christ? Are you too good? The world looks at stuff like that. As image bearers of Christ, these are the people you should have so much love for. We'll be spending eternity together, I think. Right? Love one another. Do good to one another. Love your neighbors. Why? Because it's a so-called golden rule? No. Because you belong to Christ. And you want to spread his image for his glory. What do those who bear the image of Christ say? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. The dominion mandate fulfilled by Christ. And to the glory of God, thank God, because we would never be able to do it. And we help extend that glory to the ends of the world when we are faithful in sharing the gospel. Let's stand.